2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. I got to read that again because you have to catch this. All the people of Judah took Uzziah who was 16 years old, made him king in the room of his father. Amen. So a few moments, we need the help of the Lord. And we pray that the Lord would speak and do his perfect work in this house. So would you help me by just maybe putting your Bibles down behind you and would you invoke the presence of the Lord in this room? Father, we are in desperate need of you to speak to your people to guide us in this house, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone said amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Kings of Israel have long since splintered. At the judgment of God's hand for David's sin, the ripple effect will last many hundreds of years until there are no more kings left in Israel. Solomon will carry the final kingship mantle of a united nation. After him, it will divide. Though his entry itself into the monarch hinged on a final visit from Bathsheba to David as he lay dying. The text that I read to you offers two names, Amaziah and Uzziah. The son and the father, the latter, the older Amaziah, has been captured by the southern kingdom in Judah. He will live out the rest of his life in prison, a total of 15 years. He will be away from his family until a band of men will come to seek revenge on him. They will put him to death and then transport his lifeless body, the Bible says, on a horse and then bury him in the city of Judah. When Amaziah was captured, kidnapped, imprisoned, the throne of Israel, the monarch, was empty. The people had no king. Jewish scholars point to one unusual word in the first verse of Second Chronicles chapter 26 when it says that the people took Uzziah. He did not naturally assume the throne. The word here, took, comes from the Hebrew word lokak, which means to fetch or carry away. In this instant, it denotes a conscription like that of an unwilling citizen drafted into the ranks of the army. They took him. Uzziah is the king he is the king, maybe unwilling. He's the son of the former king, and it appears that he is not necessarily compliant in their appointment. It could be read like this. You will be king. It's your duty to be king, and we won't take no for an answer. We'll make you the king. Uzziah is only 16 years old. He enters the throne in the absence of his imprisoned father, and to him it was a day to lament, or weep, to think that his dad would never return. The Bible calls out his mother as being from Jerusalem. That's the city in which Uzziah will set up his kingdom. It appears that she's better versed in the ways of the city. She knows its streets and layout better than most. The third verse says she was from Jerusalem. The young king will... Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He, he is a reflection of his father Amaziah in some ways. 
The difference being that Amaziah was not always true to sacred worship. At one point, Amaziah won a pivotal victory, but he brought back the gods from the people of Seir. Amaziah trusted the Lord for the victory, but upon the completion, he erred in setting up these gods of stone and wood. Uzziah will not make the same mistake. Instead, Uzziah will seek the Lord and the call of God. When the enemies of Israel surround them, Uzziah is quick to pursue the voice of the Lord. He welcomed the prophets and the voices of those who were anointed to lead him. He followed the instruction of the prophet Zechariah, who spoke to this young king about the fear of the Lord. You must understand the fear of the Lord. The Bible says that as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah, he will reign over Israel for an astounding 52 years. And there is a litany of successes that mark his time as the king of Israel. Though he will never see his father again or the place where he was buried, Uzziah will see numerous victories that the Lord will provide. He is a success and the people recognize it. There's a place that was known to the people of Israel called Elath. It was at the border of the promised land next to the Red Sea. A harbor. A beautiful place. They would come to call it the king's ambition. <laughs> Solomon will build a fleet of ships in Elath. The host of them will depart and return every three years. Jehoshaphat, another king, did the same thing. Finally, it was lost to the enemy. It was gone, tore down. The beauty of that place was important to the people of Israel. It was their pride. It was the first description of the life of Uzziah. Also found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. He rebuilt, he restored Elath. The prize of the people. The king's ambition. Uzziah had a good run. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of their fortified city, Gath. He did the same thing in Jebna and Ashdod. And if that was not enough, he set up his own settlements close by the Philistines. The people that lived in Gerbaal felt the sting of his sword. Uzziah was piling on wherever he went. The Ammonites were so fearful of being destroyed that they began to pay him a tax. It was called a tribute just to keep him at bay. And as anyone might suspect... His name was spread throughout all the land, even as far as the borders of Egypt. Verse 8 says it like this. For he strengthened himself exceedingly. He strengthened himself exceedingly. Our Bible will offer no small acclaim for this notorious king of Israel. He built towers in the desert and dug wells in dry places. He was rich he had herds of cattle in the plains and vineyards in the mountain. He used the land efficiently. He loved the garden life. Read it in your Bible. He knew the value of Carmel, how rich the soil was there. He, he excelled in crops and planting and the art of horticulture. In all, Uzziah knew the finer things of life. He had class and sophistication. He was cultured in the concept of fine wine and the attributes of the soil from which it came. But moreover, as the king's English so declares, Uzziah had an host of fighting men. It appears that he had infantries that specialized in areas of particular skill. He had royal officials assigned to those bands of men. The army was dominant wherever they went. The whole number of them, the Bible says, was 307,500 fighting men. And they were led by 2,600 trained captains. But Uzziah, Uzziah did not begin this way. He grew into it. He developed his leadership skill. He entered the throne as a weak and res resistant young 16-year-old boy mourning the capture of his beloved father. He was stationed, perhaps specifically in Jerusalem, because that was the home of his mother. She would oversee him. She would oversee his acclamation to the throne and to the city. He needed guidance and instruction and overseers, friends and family to help him. And how, oh how, he was helped, helped, he was helped. He was helped through loyalty 
and through the teachings of the prophet Zechariah. Uzziah developed. He grew and expanded both himself and the kingdom at large. His men were equipped. His army was cutting edge. He provided, the Bible says, shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, sling stones for the entire army. He made bulwarks. They were the machines of the ancients. Catapults. To attack other towers and corner defenses of the enemy. They hurled large stones and massive arrows. They broke down barricades and fortresses. Uzziah was excelling. He was excelling because he was obedient to God. He was following the voice of the prophet. He sought the Lord during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord because you've got to have respect and honor and fear of the Lord. He was growing in strength. Through the Lord he had help. The Bible says help. Let me do that again. He listened and he learned. He sought out the voice and then he got up and he did what he knew to do. Then he gave praise to God and what God had done through him. And then he was careful to recognize how it happened. He rejoiced and then he gave recognition. It was all in sync. It was the way that it always should be. Seek God. Do the work. Rejoice at the victory and give God glory. Let me do it again. Seek God, do the work with your hands, rejoice, and give God glory. Seek God, seek the Lord. Don't minimize this. Seek Him. Early will I seek thee. Finding comes at the end of seeking. Where did the seeking go? God is not a Google search away. He's a life pursuit. Don't let people discourage you from the search. Uh, You might just be helped in the search. In fact, the find might be the search. You're thinking there's an end to this thing. But God's saying, while you're searching for me, I'm changing you the whole time. While you're seeking for me, I'm rearranging your thoughts. I'm reconstructing your path. Seek God while he may be found. Here's the Bible. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Let me tell you, if you are out of balance and you're seeking for the wrong thing when you start to seek God first he rearranges the desires of your heart and the things that you want added change as you seek for him seek the Lord first not last not last don't seek God last don't call 911 first don't call your friends first call on God first don't try to figure out how you're going to get through it ask God before you ask anybody else don't ask him in the middle don't offend the Holy Spirit that's been put inside of you you open up your mouth you are blood bought you are a child of the most high God you call on the name which is above every other name you call on the heavenly host and say I've got to have some help right now Lord Don't call on him when you get your act together and when you start feeling good about yourself. No, seek him first. I say, look for him before you look for anybody else. Seek him until you find him. He's not far from any one of us, but he has made himself conditional. If you seek my face, turn from milk ways, I'll answer you. How many times have I heard people say, I want to come back to church as soon as I get things in order. I'm going to tell you, things will always be out of order until you seek him first. This is the way it should be. You're never going to get in order enough to get back to this house and make a commitment. Stop trying to think your way through this. You just get in this house. If you're out of order, you're in the right place. If your life is chaotic, you're in the right place. If you know you don't have it together, this is the right place. It's the only place. 
I would even submit there's probably a number of people, I don't know who they are, but there's a number of people that are not here today because they're thinking, I'm not good enough to get to church. I'm not worthy enough. Listen, you're not worthy enough when you get here. You weren't worthy when you came. You won't be worthy when you leave. It's only by the grace and the blood and the blessing of the Lord that made you so. You're never going to get worthy enough to enter into his presence. You just get under the blood that makes you worthy. Anybody who thinks that they were worthy, that's the first indication that you were not. Anybody thinks you had admission because of your family name or because of your lineage or because you thought you did something good or because something you gave or because you've been in Pentecost or the church so many years, that did not give you anything. That will not buy you anything. That It's only by the grace of God. Seek him. Seek God. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Read his word. Read the Bible. It comes from him. He is the author of his book. He breathed it into existence. Just like he breathed life into Adam. And Adam became. Adam was just a glob of mud. A well-defined and detailed glob of mud. But lifeless all the same. But God breathed the breath of life into him. And Adam became a living soul. Here is the NIV description of it. All scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that we can be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word is his breathed word. It's him. The word is profitable. It will equip you. So when you read the book, you're reading about him. This is the pattern of kings and rulers, of governments and peoples. It's the divine design of God's people and the church. Seek God and then do the work. Paul wrote. Peter wrote it. The apostles wrote it. In fact, Peter said, if you're given to hospitality, then do it without complaining. (laughs) If you serve, do it with joy. Here's verse 9 of 1 Peter 4. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here's, a, here's, here's another version. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, fully administrating God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, do it. If he serves, do it. Romans chapter 12, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, prophesy to the proportion of your faith. If it's ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Do it. If you're a teacher, teach. If you exhort, exhort. If you're a preacher, preach. If you're serving, serve. Do it in simplicity. If you're going to rule or do it diligence. If you're showing mercy, do it cheerfulness. Do it. I'm tired, of, I'm tired of the shoe brand Nike telling us just to do it. God said it first in Colossians 3.23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I'll tell you why you've got to get up and do it because faith without works is dead being alone. If you seek him and find him, there will be a commission come forth because he never leaves you without a mission. Get up and do it. Seek the Lord and do the work. And then God will give you the victory. And let me tell you why I know that. Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Like men are. I'll tell you why. Because all the promises of God in him are yea and amen. Unto the glory of God by us. God does not carry any debt on his books. You cannot possibly be about the father's business and be left empty handed. He supplieth every need according to his riches in glory. Which are immeasurable in our minds. And he has given to you and to this body of believers the same. Read it in Ephesians 4. It might not reflect in your bank account. But how about the measurement of peace and assurance in your mind? It might not seem right in the daily grind. But how about his goodness and mercy that he brought you out? He is the mighty conqueror and he is your God and he will give you the victory. He is the king of glory. He is your God. He is mighty in battle and he is your Lord. He is the Lord of hosts and he is your Lord. And the host are the angels and the angels are at his beck and call. He commands the elements of the earth and he rides on a swift cloud. That's your God. He's going to give you the victory. Don't ever doubt that he will give you the victory. 
Let me tell you about your God. He is led by the counsel of his own will. Huh. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall not be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him all things, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. You will never lose working and doing kingdom work. Seek him, do the work, and rejoice at the victory. I think sometimes we don't rejoice at the victory because we have a measurement of the victory. And we don't know if it's a good enough victory for us to rejoice. I'll tell you, just as a little hint, when you ought to rejoice. You ought to rejoice when you're feeling good and you wake up in the morning you ought to rejoice on Monday that you have a job. When you're able to give tithes because you have something coming in and an offering, you ought to be happy about that and rejoice about it. If there's any good thing that happens to you, you ought to rejoice about it. Don't wait for the big things to start rejoicing. Because if you don't rejoice in the small things, you won't know how to shout in the big things. In fact, let me just say it a different way. If you never rejoice in the small things, you may never recognize or see the big things. You ought to rejoice because you got up this morning and the Lord paved the way for you to get in this house. You ought to thank God because he's been good to you all day long. You ought to thank God because we got to sing a little bit. We got to come into the house of the Lord. You ought to rejoice in all the things. Oh yes. Oh yes. And then when you get done. You recognize that it was the Lord and you say to God be the glory see he wants it he's jealous for it and he won't share it I am the Lord that is my name and my glory will I not give to another neither my praise to graven images give unto the Lord the glory do his name and worship the Lord in the beauty of the whole that is how it should be that is how it must be seek God and do the work and give praise and recognize where it all came from you leave any of those parts out you're going to start down a dysfunctional road crooked and damaging to your life. If you seek God and you hear the word, but you get up, you'll be, you'll be the hearer and not the doer. If you seek God and you know the truth, but you don't obey the truth, you'll end up being people that talk about private faith, which is really no faith at all. Mm-hmm. If you don't do what you know is right to do, then that is sin itself. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Uh-oh. Because the Lord has invested his word in you. Think about what we have. Until Gutenberg struck up his printing press, these were in short supply. And you had to go to someone to hear the scripture read. And they could read it any way they wanted to read it. They could create any kind of doctrine they wanted to. But now you've got the book. What are you doing with the book? We're unlike any generation before us. We have the privilege of the church, the privilege of the word, the privilege of worship and freedom like no place in the world. I would say to the church, this is an awesome responsibility that we have. We've got to do something with what we know. Oh my. Mm -hmm. And when we get done doing it, we ought to start praising 
Because you were meant to praise. And when you get done praising, you ought to thank God and say, well, the Lord did that. And the Lord did that. And God did that. And I stood on the other side of the bus barn. And I was with some pastors. And we looked across. And I could barely see the outline of the North Campus building. I could see all the way over there. I was looking at the back part of that to see all beyond that. And, and, and one of the ministers said, well, how did you all do this? And I looked and I said, we didn't do it. It had to be God. God did it. He's going to do greater things. As long as I can keep my focus on God he's going to do more and more but the moment I look down and see what I'm doing hear me I'll tell you when your life is going to sink let me tell you when you're going to sink it's the same thing that happened when Peter when he got out of the boat and the Lord said come on and Peter started walking on water but the moment he looked down to see what he was doing he began to drown you're going to sink and drown every day of the week you just keep your eyes on the prize and keep your eyes on the master and say I don't know how I got here I don't know how I'm doing it every day but it was the Lord that did it he brought me out he saved me I'm doing things I should not be able to do because God is doing the work hear me you were not designed to walk on water but when you are looking at jesus he changes the designation of your limitations and he gives you power that proceeds and and overshadows everything hear me when you are looking at the lord for your business and your home and your job and your children he'll give you wisdom that did not come from your own reading he'll give you wisdom that came from his own throne Give God glory right now. Somebody give God glory. You ought to give God glory. You ought to say the glory belongs to you. Come on, you ought to say the glory belongs to you. Somebody ought to shout out the glory belongs to the Lord. It was all the Lord. It was none of me. It was all of God. You ought to cry out, God did this. Yes, yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Stop thinking about this church building. Stop thinking about what we've got materialized. It's greater than that. He gave you life and breath and hope and a future and salvation. It was not because of you. It was all because of him. Let me tell you how you were redeemed. You were not redeemed through intellectualism. You were not redeemed because you had the one to and you decided. You were not redeemed with your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. No, I'm going to give him glory in his house. Seek the Lord. Come on, say it. I'm going to seek him. Come on, I'm going to seek the Lord. My salvation is in searching for him. Every day I'm going to seek him. Say, I'm going to seek him. When I get up tomorrow, I'm going to seek him. I'm going to open up my Bible and seek for him. You got to say it. I'm going to do something. Say it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to get my hands ready. I'm going to get my feet ready. And then I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to praise him in the good day and in the bad day. I'm going to give him praise all the time. And then when I see something good, I'm going to give him the glory that's due his name. There ought to be praises in the house. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the restorer. And there's only one God. If I can get that pattern down in my life and get that pattern, I'd stop falling into foolishness. If I could start listening, seeking God, I'd, I'd stop being foolish. I'd stop making dumb mistakes. If I could just seek God, if I could seek God. I can't believe people are still into astrology and they're still seeking little bizarre things and trying to crack open Chinese cookies and trying to read something or they're, they're, they're reading a post and they're guided by, I would say, seek the Lord, search for God. Where did the prayer room go? Where did the prayer room go? That's not just for January. That's for every day. You ought not wait till January to find the prayer room. Not one half an hour in this week, you ought to get inside the prayer room and pray a little bit and ask God that he would help you and guide you. Ah. Yeah. 
not fancy. Let me just tell you, it's not fancy, but you just get up and start doing something now. Just going to do it. Come on, you got to do something. You can't just sit there and be a sponge all day long. Some of you know more Bible than most, most modern theologians. You've heard more word. You know more scripture. It's time for you to go share some of that scripture. It's time for you to get up and get up, get busy about the Father's business. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. Yes. I'm feeling good right now. Praise God. Hallelujah. I felt the Lord kind of walked in here a little while ago. Talking to his people. I'll tell you why. He loves his people. He wants to see us have success in this life. But there's only one mention of success in the Bible. It's Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. You ought to read it. It's the only place where success is ever mentioned in the scripture. It's got to get the scripture. Joshua 1.8. You got a microphone? Get the scripture. You got a microphone? Stay with me, Scott. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein. Day and night. Day and night. And that thou mayest observe to do according to all, to all that's, that's written, written therein. therein. For then thou shalt make, make thy, thy way, way prosperous. What? What? Wait, wait, wait. I thought Dave Ramsey told us how to do that. What? Then thou shalt... This book of the law is going to make your way prosperous. Prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Oh, yes. You see... You got to get back to the book and seek the Lord. I'm not against all the self-help books. I'm not against all the organizational books. But people keep asking me now, what do you read? What do you read? What do you read? I I feel kind of bad. I don't want to over-spiritualize everything. I don't want to. I don't want to come off the sound like I. I'm just. I just walk on clouds with the heavenly host. But I'll tell you what. I tell them. I have a tough time. I read some of those books. They're they're good. They're okay. I've been reading the Bible. How do you organize the church? Well, I've just been reading the Bible. Really, what chapter is that found? Every chapter. Now, now, how do you help people with grief? I've been reading the scripture. Well, what chapter is that found? Every chapter. How do you help people when they're in the hospital? I just, I bring the word into the hospital. How do you help them with their children? I bring the word. I'm seeking the Lord. It's all in the book. seek the Lord everyone do the work praise praise is comely for the upright praise is comely for the upright I don't want to ask who wore cologne and who didn't praise makes you smell good makes you look good (laughs) you spent some time putting on your nice clothes I see you, mother, your husband coordinates the red. Uh-huh. It's coordination. But you ain't never looked so good than when you lift your hands and praise. Well, you couldn't put on an outfit that's better than your hands lifted up. All the ladies in here, I don't know what kind of shoes you wear, but those shoes, that skirt and that blouse never look better than when you are speaking in other tongues, giving God glory and clapping your hands. All the men, I'm glad you're looking good, smelling fine, and got your new tie on, whatever. I want to have that too, but I've come to praise him. I know praise is comely. It's making me look good. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the noonday. Praise him when the sun goes down. Give him an evening sacrifice of praise. It's the pattern. Amen. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that is how Uzziah began. Until one day. 
Now, I read the scripture and the Lord impressed me to read it again. In fact, he moved my eyes back to it. It was a bizarre thing. I read this verse and I felt the impression. I don't know, the Lord doesn't speak in an audible voice. But I felt the impression to read it with clear understanding. I read verse 15. We're at the end of the wonderful things that he had done for his army. See, he made Jerusalem those catapults, the engines, invented by cunning men. They were bulwarks. It was an incredible feat. And his name spread far abroad. And then here was the turn. He was marvelously helped till he was strong. I read the last line again. He was helped till he was strong. And the Lord showed me there's a bifurcation there. Or as another version says, he was greatly helped until he became powerful. The Living Bible says this. For the Lord helped him wonderfully until he was self-sufficiently powerful. And here's the next line that gives credence to that thought. Verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. It was the very thing that he strived for all of his life from his teenage years that caused him to fall. The one thing that he thought gave him success was the one thing that brought him to defeat. His single endeavor to be powerful and become greater than his father, perhaps, became his undoing, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. And in his strength, he decided that he no longer needed the order of the house of the Lord. He could be his own priest, his own leader, his own prophet, and in fact, He wanted to burn his own incense in the temple. Of course, this had always been the duty of the sons of Aaron and their lineage. The Bible says that Uzziah entered a place that was not given to him. And 81 priests led by Azariah were courageous enough to confront him. And they say, they said, it is not right for you to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests who are the descendants of Aaron. The priest, think of it, they confronted Uzziah. How sad for us to call someone our friend, but we never confront them. Men and women who decide to be their own leader and conduct themselves out of the order and the will of God, but no one ever says, you're out of order. I say today that there are far less fewer real friendships in this world than anyone might think. A real friend will tell you where you went wrong, not give you a thumbs up on your failing behavior. To do that, it takes courage. The Bible says that they confronted the king and they said, you will not Be honored by the Lord God. You are not sufficient to do whatever you want. You are not king enough to even burn the incense in the sanctuary. Plant your vineyards if you wish. Consider the rich soil of the high lands of Carmel. Gather your armies to battle. Build towers and defenses. Confound the people and complete the ambition of the kings. Elath is a beautiful harbor. But do not enter the sanctuary and dishonor the Lord your God. You've been helped... But now that you are strong, you have violated the order of the sanctuary. I'll call it today for us individualism, self-sufficiency, too big to be led, too strong to be humbled, too studied to be a student. And to that rebuke, Uzzah, Uzziah, the king, Uzziah held the answer. He was instance, he was ready to burn the priest. He wanted them to pay for their rebuke. How dare they confront him like that? The Bible said they withstood him. Didn't they know who he was? He was the king of Israel. 
And in his rage, he spun around and charged them to inflict pain on them, to burn them. But the Bible says that as he raged in their presence, his forehead became leprous. The skin on his forehead turned a flaky white leprosy. The incurable disease. Here's verse 20. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead and they thrust him out from there. Yea, even he wanted to go. Even he knew he had to go because the Lord had smitten him. Uzziah would never recover and he would live with that disease for the rest of his life. He's a leper cut off from the house of God and the scepter will be passed to another because he strengthened himself exceedingly. And when he was helped, he lost the value of who helped him. He was greatly helped until he became powerful. And that is exactly where I think we've landed as a people today. I'm not talking worldwide. I'm talking right here in this house in this nation, this state, in our city. If there is loss in our lives, many of us feel depressed. If money is not right, we begin to complain. If other people are progressing and we feel that we're regressing, we feel abandoned. You see, only in triumph and gain does the modern church feel that they've accomplished something and that they're validated. And I concede, of course, it's natural But natural, ladies and gentlemen, can also mean carnal. And the moment I read it twice and then three times, how Uzziah was helped until he became powerful. See, it stopped the day he became powerful. He no longer was helped. It ended the day he became full of himself. When God moved my eyes back over and over again, the very next verse, I remembered Paul's description Of God's ordained pain. I'll read it for you. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations. God give me so much insight. I've seen so many things. Lest I be exalted above measure. Because of all the things that God has shown me. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh. It was the messenger of Satan. God gave me that. To buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. All the things that I knew, God sent me a thorn to keep me abase. I didn't take it lying down. Because of the thorn, I prayed three times that he would pull it out, remove it from me. I didn't just go to the Lord once. I went back. He didn't respond. He gave me a thorn in my flesh to keep me, but I didn't like it and I didn't want it. And I prayed against it. I prayed so many prayers. All kind. I laid on top of Eutychus and brought him back from the dead. I preached to thousands and they were healed and delivered and they received the gospel of Jesus Christ. I laid my hands on people and they received their healing. I know how to pray and I know God answers my prayer. And I went to God and prayed about this thorn that he put inside of me to buffet me, this messenger of Satan, that he didn't remove it. So I went back again and I went back the third time and I stopped at the third time because I realized he was not going to take it from me. And then the Lord spoke to me. He said to me after the third time about the thorn in my flesh, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And when Paul heard the words, then he finally submitted his body and said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me because if I don't take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches, God cannot use me. He'll help me. Until I become strong enough that I don't need his help. I take pleasure in infirmities. That's foreign to all of us. I take pleasure in reproaches when people talk bad about me. In necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, 
When I got the thorn from God, he buffets me and keeps me humble. So I keep reaching for him. And I see a host of people of the Christian community praying that God would remove all their afflictions from them. When they don't realize those may be the only things that are going to save you. Isaiah was a blood relative of Uzziah. In fact, Isaiah was probably a scribe before he was called to be a prophet. He was a cousin. He lived most of his years leaning on the good time provided by his cousin king, Uzziah. Isaiah would be a prophet. He'll write one of the books in the Bible. He was probably a scribe. He was not always a prophet. But the last few years of Uzziah's life, as as Uzziah was spent in isolation, scraping the dead skin from his body, Isaiah had a change of heart. The first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, it looks like he's writing from the seat of a scribe. But the day that his cousin Uzziah died, in the year that Uzziah died, when the throne was vacated by the man with strength and ability, Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord called him to be a prophet. And it was introduced into the call of the prophet. He said it like this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple when the strength of a man was gone because God won't share the throne with anybody else there's only going to be one on the throne it's either you and your strength or it's the Lord God Almighty in the year that the arm of strength finally died I finally got to see the glory of God and his train filled the temple what is that train? it's garments the garments every time they won a victory they came back and sewed a brand new garment to the edge of the long train that cape that used to be short now became long when the Lord stepped in the whole temple was filled with the victory of the Lord oh when, when the arm of flesh dies Then we get to see God. I preach today a thorn called strength. You probably don't want to know this. That thing, it saved you. That thing, it's saving you. That affliction, it's keeping you. You don't see eternity, but God does. (laughs) That struggle is making you lean on him every day more and more. You're calling to him. Without it, You'd never learn how to pray. He wants to give you revelation, but he's got to temper your revelation. Lest you become proud and boastful and think you have it all together. And he'll give you as much revelation as the thorn can safely rest in your life. He knows the ratio of man. And it's different for everyone. You have to call on him. You've got to say, I need your help today. I've got to have your help today. I feel the presence of the Lord here now. He spoke to you. Here's the pattern. Here's the thorn. Here's the pathway. God is speaking to his people. Don't despise those things. They are temporal and they're working for the benefit of the eternal. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus.
Please stand with me today if you'll lift up your hearts to God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I'm hearing the word today. I'm going to get up from this place and I'm going to do your work, the kingdom work. I'm going to offer you praise. I'm going to recognize our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are the king of glory. Now I invite you, Lord, to sit on the throne of my heart. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Wherever you're standing today, I wish you would open up your mouth and pray to God that he would help you. I need you, Savior. I need you, Lord. I call on you, Lord. I call on you, Lord. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. I feel impressed that the body needs to pray for the body. I feel impressed that the body... I don't want you to feel awkward, but if you feel like the Lord wants wants you to go to someone... Don't startle them. Just ask them if, 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 you could, if you could grab their hand and pray for them. I want you to pray that they would trust God with all of their heart. To put their trust in God today. Wherever you're standing, turn to someone close by you or move, your, move away from your seat if you need to and put your hand on someone and say, we're going to trust God. He always has the best in mind for us. this altar is open for anyone who wants to come to this altar and just cry out to God and say Lord I'm going to follow this path Lord you're going to help me and I won't despise the thorn that's given me strength